0: I have the pleasure of introducing you to our new sermon series art from Victoria. You can applaud for her. Thank you, Victoria, for using your talents and gifts to bless us. I appreciate this art um, for a lot of reasons. One, it's quality, and it's from my sister Victoria, and two... It shows Jesus journeying somewhere. Jesus on the way, which is appropriate for the first Sunday of Advent, which is today. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming or arrival. It's a season to prepare for the arrival of Jesus' birth for Christmas, We all know what that preparation feels like, the hustle and the bustle, the shopping, the dinners, the parties, the music, the baking, decorating the house. Maybe you don't experience all of those things in your particular life. I understand that's the case for some of us, but we all know what it's like. But Advent isn't just about preparing for December 25th. It's also about preparing for a day unknown the return of Jesus, the second arrival of Jesus. To which you may on the inside say, do we really believe that Jesus is coming back? To which I would say, I hope you do. And I would emphatically say that as a church, we do. In EBC's statement of faith, this is our statement on the last things. We believe in the personal and visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth and the establishment of his kingdom. We believe in the resurrection of the body, the final judgment, the eternal joy and felicity of those made righteous by the blood of Christ, and the endless suffering of the unrighteous. See, Jesus' second return is a return for joy for those who know him. It's a return for judgment for those who do not. It's a return for salvation and also for destruction. Wednesday morning, I woke up early not on purpose, but because a dream woke me up. And I don't tell this dream so that you can interpret this dream. I tell this dream for the, for the feeling of it. I was with one of my kids at the United Center, the Bulls and Blackhawks Stadium, and we were up in one of the top decks, and my kid went to an open staircase on the fifth floor and tumbled over. And I saw it happen. I ran, not even to the edge. I knew where my child had gone. And I just started running, flying down the stairs. And in my mind, in my heart, in my dream, I knew I actually don't want to get to the bottom of the stairs. And then I woke up without reaching the bottom of the stairs. I was desperate. I was desperate because I knew what was happening there was death and destruction. I would find the broken body of my child at the bottom of that staircase. My only hope was to wake up. And I was so relieved when I did. And then I couldn't go back to sleep. It's one of those dreams where you're so shaken and at the same time so relieved. This morning, my aim is to help us stay awake, metaphorically, or be awoken for the first time as we wait for Jesus to return, as he told his disciples to do, as I read at the beginning of the service in Matthew 24. To help us in this, we're going to go to a place you might not expect, Joshua chapter 2. We're going to spend quite a good deal of time in the text this morning, so I would encourage you to turn there in your Bible, look it up on your phone. The Bible that's in front of you, if you want to use that, you'll find Joshua 2 on page 178. (coughs) We're going to the book of Joshua, and we are going to visit what may be the oldest city in the world. And among, if not the lowest, at 750 feet below sea level. The name of this city was Jericho. And Jericho was an oasis, well fed by a spring, and called the City of Palms. Jericho was fortified by a strong wall, and the hustle and bustle of the people in and out of the city was regulated by a gate. But Jericho was an Amorite city in the land of Canaan, the land which God had promised to Abraham and his descendants 430 years prior. In Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, after sojourning in a land that is not theirs, speaking of the Hebrew people, they shall come back here. To the land of Canaan is where God was talking to Abraham at that point. They shall come back here. Your descendants, as great as the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky, will come back here. Not now. But then, because God in his patience and his justice knew that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet complete. The years of God's mercy on this people had now concluded where we are in Joshua. And God was about to judge their full sin as he gave Canaan to his people. But in this city, on the verge of destruction, Jericho, we will find a house of salvation. So God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would use your word to wake us up this morning. Jesus, we do wait for you but we confess that we often don't. Would you stir us, we ask. Would you awaken souls that at this point are asleep, they have not seen or heard or believed on the good news, Jesus, that you came to save sinners. Would you give new birth, we ask as well. Amen. This morning, I'm going to handle the text by talking about three houses the first being the house of Rahab. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho... Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then Rahab let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold. When we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head but if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned, They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. There are some surprising details in Joshua too. The first being the kind of house the men went to. They went to Rahab's house. Rahab was a prostitute. Her house was a logical place for the spies to go to avoid suspicion. But they didn't avoid suspicion. Instead, the king heard that they were there, and he ordered Rahab to give them up. They have come to search out the land, he said. But instead, Rahab hid them lied to the king, and sent the king's men on a wild goose chase. Don't miss what just happened there. Rahab commits treason against the king of Jericho and the moon god that they apparently worshipped in Jericho. She commits treason. Yet at the same time, Rahab pledges allegiance to God. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Treason and allegiance. In our New Testament way of speaking, repentance and faith. Flee impending doom and plead for unending life. Pleading with the men, would you deliver our lives from death? What does Rahab's faith consist of? A right fear of God and his judgment. For we have heard, verse 10 how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. What you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. God's reputation of judgment preceded him. The peoples of Canaan were hearing about what God was doing through this people of former slaves and how they were winning Rahab's fear Rahab's faith was a right fear of God and his judgment and it was also a right hope for salvation. Would you deliver our lives from death? she knew they knew all of Jericho knew the king obviously knew or he would not have been so concerned about these two spies they all knew what was coming. And that they, aside from their wall, couldn't stop it. All of their hearts, through all of the land, had melted. So I would ask you, where did this faith displayed by Rahab Her willingness to betray her people and her God. And then her declaration of allegiance to the God of heavens and earth. Where did this faith come from? The grace of God. All of Jericho, all of Canaan feared. Their hearts had melted, but only Rahab responded like Rahab did. God graciously gave faith to an Amorite prostitute. To which you might say, well, this is a nice story, but how do we know? That this wasn't just a phase for Rahab. How do we know that this was actually a treason, a repentance, a turning that leads to life, rather than just kind of a spurious opinion made in the face of impending doom? Because in Hebrews 11.31, Rahab finds herself in the hall of faith. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Furthermore, in the very next book in the New Testament, James writes this Was not also Rahab the prostitute, justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? The author of Hebrews and the author of James, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are working together here in their understanding of how Rahab responded to the spies who arrived at her house. The author of Hebrews is saying, this is true faith, and the author of James is saying this is true faith because true faith works. Listen, we are justified by faith and not by works, but the faith that truly justifies is a faith that works. True faith lives and breathes because true faith has a living Breathing God living inside the person of faith. Rahab had a living, breathing faith. A faith with a new allegiance to a king that willingly, willingly lied to her old allegiance. Knowing this was going to cost her greatly. But she had her eyes in the right place. God had illumined her heart to understand there is a true God. And his track record has been showing itself. Interesting thing, though, what does her family's faith look like? Note that she asks for the lives of her father and her mother, her brothers and her sisters, and all who belong to them. Who did she not mention? Her own husband or her own kids. By the nature of her profession, she may have had neither. So what does it then look like for mom, dad, brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews to listen to Auntie Rahab? And though they've heard the stories too, now she's saying, hey, listen, I've got got a way for us to be rescued. Come to my house. Well, come to your house? first of all, you live on the wall. That's where they're coming first. Second of all, we don't usually do holidays at your house. The spies make it very clear what their faith will need to look like. Rahab, you get them to come here. If they come here, you tell them, do not tell a soul. Telling a soul, whether it be Rahab or her family, would be kind of like re-treason. They come to the place where they could be rescued, but instead they're like, you know, not really believing this is going to happen, I'm going to go back. All my friends are in Jericho, my fiance is in Jericho, My job is in Jericho. My savings account is in Jericho. Don't tell the soul and stay in the house. Stay in the house. Listen, we got to keep this real here. Her family is making a tough decision. They are dying to the life that they have known. Because God has given them faith too to understand the life that they have come to know and love is going to go away anyway. The life that they have been comfortable with will soon burn. So what gain is there to hold on to what they will lose and soon and forfeit their very lives? So they're to stay in the house and not to leave the house. Verse 19 if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, they've been there, then they leave, his blood shall be on his own head. We shall be guiltless. What did this house consist of? A single red cord, hanging out, scarlet cord hanging out of the window where Rahab let the spies down to escape. Again, what must they do? Stay in the house. This crimson cord reminds us of another house. The house of Israel's own salvation. See, 40 years prior, God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. Though Moses had warned Pharaoh of nine terrible plagues of judgment, he did not let God's people go. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hardened his own heart in his sin, his rebellion, his refusal to submit himself to the God of the heaven of heavens and earth. And Moses says, "There's one more plague coming. The nine have been bad enough." In Exodus 11, Moses threatens a final plague: the death of every firstborn. But that God was making a distinction between Egypt and Israel. How was that distinction made? Exodus 12, 21 through 27. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves, according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, a branch, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning." for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. Israel was told to kill a lamb to dab its blood on the doorposts of their houses and remain in their houses until morning. See this. The house of Israel was saved from judgment not because they were the house of Israel. They were saved from judgment by believing what God said. by believing God's promise that the blood of the Lamb was sufficient. What did they need to do? Only stay in their bloody houses. Judgment came through, and Israel was freed. Though they survived the Passover and left Egypt and crossed over the Red Sea, this generation proved largely faithless. Upon their first approach to Canaan, a fear-mongering report by 10 spies who had gone into the land to scout it out came back and convinced everyone that not even the Lord really can handle the giants in the land. Resulted in 40 years of wandering and the death of everyone in that generation, even Moses. The only survivors were the two faithful spies, two of the twelve, Caleb, and now, as Israel stands on the bank of the Jordan, their new leader, Joshua. Perhaps it was as the two spies sent by Joshua arrived in Jericho, and they told Rahab what is to come, perhaps it was upon hearing Joshua's name that Rahab betrayed Jericho and pledged her allegiance to God. For Joshua's name means God saves, Yeshua. So here... In Rahab's house, a house of ill repute has become a house that hopes for salvation. Does that salvation come? Joshua chapter 6, please turn there. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast from the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenants of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the Ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the Ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, They marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times, and at the seventh time, When the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction itself and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold And the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day. Because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Rahab lived. We just read most of chapter 6 together. Who has maintained Rahab's house from destruction? Rahab's life from judgment? We could say, well, it was the crimson rope. A rope can't do anything. You might say it was the army of Israel who knew not to go into the house of the crimson rope. Okay, granted. You might say it was Rahab's faith. Rahab's faith is what saved her. Here's the thing. In verse 25, it says, Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Joshua saved alive. Joshua, that means God saves. God saves and God saves is how you could read that. The God who saves saved Rahab and her household. In the chapters just leading up between 2 and 6, chapters 3, 4, and 5, this is when Israel crosses from the western side of the Jordan Crosses the Jordan because the Lord actually comes into the Jordan and stops its flow so they can walk across like on dry land. You're hearing the Red Sea. God tells Joshua, I'm going to begin to exalt you among all of Israel. They're good to know that I am with you like I was with Moses. And then just before they go into Jericho... Joshua has a burning bush moment. And before the presence of the Lord is told, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Joshua was put in a place to be a savior from destruction. Let's imagine Jericho, seven days of marching or waiting, if you were in Rahab's house, waiting for destruction and judgment, and then after it all goes down on day seven, the fog of war and the dust settles, what does Israel see? The wall really came down. All of it except that part of the wall. That part of the wall is still standing. That part of the wall has a crimson cord hanging out of the window. They see that God brought down the wall and God saved Rahab and her family. That's why he brought down the wall to show The salvation belongs to him and to him alone. This single tower of salvation with its crimson rope, a bloody house standing out among the rubble of destruction. And what does Rahab see? What does her family see as they look out the window? Judgment. and a new family and a true God. A God who is merciful to sinners. In fact, loves them and loves to save them. See, when God saves, it's not just about surviving. It's also about newly belonging. God saves because he loves And he welcomes. He welcomes. There's another whose name means God saves. Jesus. Jesus, as we find in Matthew 1, this third house, the house of Jesus Christ. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus' family line coming out of Abraham and David, Judah, Tamar, and now Rahab. Jesus' house is a house of ill repute. Rahab is in his family line. Why? Because God is telling us through Matthew. Sinners all, whether Jew or Gentile, as Rahab was, can look upon Jesus. Jesus, to whom as the angel was talking to Joseph said, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people From their sins. How will Jesus save his people from their sins? By building his own bloody house. By calling a people together of sinners, not sinners and saints, of sinners, who he saves to become saints, who he brings into a new family, and he does it by his blood. So hear this. We will, be, we will continue to be a church that preaches a simple gospel of a bloody house. A bloody house for spiritual prostitutes to come and find refuge in. To come and find rest in to come and find family in, to come and find God. We will continue to say that we in God's house, the bloody house of Jesus Christ, are covered by his blood. That his sacrifice, his blood was shed so ours would not have to be shed. He took our place as our substitute to make us one with God. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But when the shedding of that blood is the shedding of perfect blood, it then sanctifies and perfects the people of God for all time. This is a bloody house of worship. Jesus covers us in himself. We find our salvation in himself. He saved us and he will save us. But you might say, we have not talked so much about the judgment here yet. Andy, you're right. But listen to this word on salvation from judgment from 1 Thessalonians 5 1 through 10. Now listen, brothers, concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, there's peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, listen, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Just so you know, when he's talking about drunkenness and sobriety, he's not just talking about the sauce. He's talking about being drunk and in love with the world. But being sober-minded, like Rahab's family, this world is going. How can I then be saved? And Paul is saying here, brothers, You have been saved, and count on it. You will be saved. Salvation has happened, and salvation will happen. Because Jesus covers us in himself. What do you think of this? What are some ways that we can think about this as we wait for that day of full salvation? Number one, stay in the house. Stay in the house. The house that Jesus is building is his Church. stay in the house beware of the the drunkenness the love of the world that makes us distance ourselves from the bloody house of Christ's body the whole new testament is about what it looks like to stay in the house what it looks like to walk together with other bloody people. Stay in the house. Don't go wandering off to other possibilities. Don't go wandering off on the ramparts of Jericho thinking if I could just see him one more time, if I could just make that last bit of money Listen, when we start to make those sorts of excuses, that's a dangerous, dangerous road. When we start to justify sinful choices because I am saved and the day of salvation is not coming, yet I don't think... Listen, that's when your eyelids are starting to flutter and you're getting drowsy. Stay in the house. Remain with God's people We are not a perfect people, for sure. But we will continue to preach and share and love and eat and drink of a perfect savior. As you stay in the house, be waiting in the house. Compelling others into the house. I remind you of my dream. If I had had a chance in that dream, to yell out to my kid, don't go there. I would have. And I know that there are a lot of you who say that to your family members often. And you pray those prayers often. And your hope is that they would not go there. Instead, that they would come into the house of Christ that they would know reconciliation to God because the blood of Jesus covers their sins. Sometimes we wonder, why is it taking God so long to send Jesus back? Remember Israel going around Jericho for seven days. Israel didn't know why they were walking around for seven days. Because in Hebrews 11 it says they walked around for seven days and by faith the walls fell. They just believed that God was faithful and that his word was true. As we wait, let's pray. Let's compel. Graciously, not judgmentally, because we know that we're spiritual prostitutes ourselves. So we can openly, winsomely with pleading Say would you would you come and hear of Jesus? I know where salvation is found. Second Thessalonians 1 8 Paul makes this key point that those those who suffer judgment, it's because of this. They do not know God. And they do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's the the heart of disbelief. That God would come down and say, there's a house where you can go to for salvation? No, I'm straight. Judgment's not coming, so I don't need a place to be saved. Just say a few things to press into that a little bit more. I need this message, people. I know that I can get drowsy because I know that drowsiness is coming when I don't see other people as needing to come into the house. I'm sleeping or I'm getting tired because. I'm not functionally believing that there's judgment coming. And so, the people around me that don't know Jesus, if I'm not lovingly, at least praying for them, looking for opportunities to point them to Jesus, I'm getting drowsy. Stay awake. I'll tell you this, I've had it on my to-do list for about a year and a half to have a rescue list to start praying through with my family. Guess how many times we've looked at the rescue list? Have we even made a rescue list? No. I confess that to you. Because that's drowsiness. I'm not Jesus, I'm not Joshua, and neither are you. But we know Jesus. We know where salvation is found. Can we change people's hearts? No, we cannot. But would we risk the awkward Rahab conversation of, so I know we don't see eye to eye, maybe we've had had beef in the past because of my profession, would you still come to my house? Judgment is coming, and you'll be safe there. Members, you're you're getting this. Inside of this is Advent Ask, where a lot of us shared prayer requests. Something I was so encouraged by was how many of you that shared requests named people that you want the rest of us to pray for that they would be saved. So members, take this home and take it seriously. Go through, highlight those names, And pray. There's something going on right now that's kind of in its early phases called Fulfill 606. It's been started by Addison Street Community Church. And one of their pastoral assistants is starting to get people together to just go to high school front lawns. They've gone to Lane mostly so far. And they'll just go up to a person and say, hey, listen, I've got a $5 gift card that I'll give you if you'll give me five minutes to tell you about Jesus. And it's working. Most of the kids don't even want the $5 gift card from what I've been told. But Fulfill 606, called Fulfill 606 because they want to get to the point where they can say that every high school in Chicago has had gospel seeds sown into their front lawn. If you're interested in that, let me know about that. And I can connect you with the guy who is leading that. It's not just about their church. They're trying to get other people, specifically in local churches, that would be close to, for instance, sin. Let me know. Would you take one, two, or three of these and risk that conversation and say, hey, listen, Christmas is about Jesus. Would you come to my church where we talk and sing a lot about him? Risk it. Prayerfully risk it. Maybe you're thinking, am I the one who's going to fall? Not if you're in Jesus. Jesus not if you're in the house. Let me just finish by reading from the very end of the book of Jude. Jude finishes with this doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever.